So the book of James says that true religion is this, to keep oneself unspotted from the world and to look after orphans and widows. That's true religion. True devotion to God, according to the book of James, is caring for those who have been marginalized, caring for those who are most vulnerable. That's what James says is true religion. This is, this is what James says. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. James, who didn't believe in Jesus until after he was resurrected. James had that conviction. Look, talk is cheap, he would say. Great, you believe the right things. That's wonderful. But here's the reality. Do you respond to the God who saved you by caring for those who themselves need practical saving? Now, in the book of Romans, Paul's talking about this great gospel. In the very beginning of the book of Romans, Paul talks about how that the gospel is the power of God, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, that that good news is the power of God unto salvation for whoever believes. In other words, that God actually releases his power. God does something supernatural in our hearts as we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He changes us radically. And the whole book of Romans, great book. If you've never studied Romans, I really encourage you to read through Romans. It'll change your life. If you really want to get into it deeper, I think we have our series on Romans online. If we don't, there'll be a new one, I'm sure, in the coming years. But the reality is this. Romans is a great book talking about the power of the gospel and how who Jesus is and what he's done changes our lives. And Paul is wanting them to understand what the results are of the gospel, or what the, what the benefits are of the gospel. He wants the, the believers in Rome to, to understand this. And so he, he gets into chapter 8 and he talks about this, this reality of God's Spirit's work in our life, the work of God's Spirit in our life and what that looks like, what that results in. And a big part of that is God's Spirit works in us to help us understand this privilege of adoption. Now, I want to give you three main things. There's a lot of things that we could get out of this. It would be really easy to take uh, an hour on each one of these sort of points. But I want to give you three main points. This should be on your little uh, handout sheet. And, and I want to talk about how these, things, uh, how these things connect to this text or why this text teaches these things, but also how these things apply to our involvement in foster care and adoption. So the first thing we want to understand about adoption is the adoption we have in Christ, that adoption means a higher quality of life. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, brethren, we're debtors, but not to live, listen, according to the flesh. When the Bible speaks of the flesh, it doesn't just mean this physical body. It's that, but it's more than that. It means this, this brokenness, this human brokenness that we all have naturally. That you were born with a certain look, you have a certain color skin, a certain color eyes, you have a certain height, a certain disposition. You've inherited those things from your earthly parents. Guess what else you've inherited? A sinful nature. You can blame them if you want to. And we've confirmed that we've inherited that sinful nature because we choose to sin. So when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about this sinful nature that we have. This, this bent towards pushing God away and doing what we want to do. 
And Paul says we're not indebted to the flesh. We don't owe the flesh anything. We don't owe our old nature anything. Now, why, why does he use this language? Have you ever been in debt? Have you ever been in a place where you're indebted? I mean like serious debt. I mean the kind of debt where bill collectors come knocking at your door. And you feel this pressure, this obligation. You've got to do something with this information. In fact, that pressure is going to be really, really overwhelming. And kind of as a side note, if you're in that place, we really want to pray with you and see if we can even help you with budgeting things because it's a massive pressure. But if you've been in that pressure, you know what debt's like. You know, it is a burden. And what Paul's saying to the people in Rome is, you're not under that burden. If you're in Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, you're not indebted to them. You're not indebted to your own flesh. Your natural sinful self has no claim on your life. You don't have to do what it demands of you, is the idea. In fact, what he says is, he says it's pretty important for us to understand that because he says if we live according to the flesh, in other words, we think, oh, I've got to do what my body's craving to do. He says it's going to lead to death. But listen, he says, notice, in verse 13 he says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, because God's Spirit dwells in you, you don't have to be a slave to your sin anymore. You don't have to. You can learn to leave behind destructive behavior, the kind of stuff that brings death, the the stuff that separates you from fellowship with God. You can leave that stuff behind. You see, what kind of stuff? What, what kinds of things leave us or separate us from God? Any sin. So, so the fact is, how many of us can often get into to, to bondage? We feel like we're a slave to the things that we just have us, we just can't stop. You, you tell a lie, you think, oh no, I shouldn't have said that. I, I exaggerated, so what do you do? You cover it up with another lie. But then you feel even more trapped, so you cover it up with another lie. Lying brings death. You, you covet. You, you think, okay, oh, I'll be happy if I have just this new piece of furniture or just this, this if I can get, just get that picture frame that will tie the whole lounge together, then I'll be happy. If I can just get that new model car. The old one was nice, but this one has more gizmos and gadgets. If I can just get that vacation in this place, if I can just, you fill in the blank. You covet. You want what you don't have. And then you get that, and you know what it's like. You just think, well, but now only if I could have this as well. It's never enough. There's a death that comes from us living according to our flesh, according to our natural sinful desires. There's a death that comes to us. And it ultimately leads to complete death, which is a, what the Bible calls the second death, which is separation from God forever. And Paul's saying, I have good news for you. You're not indebted to your flesh. You don't have to continue to live this way. You can learn to leave behind that. The Spirit of God will teach you to do this. In fact, he says in verse 14 that this is one of the things that kind of identifies us as God's children that we've been adopted. Listen, he says in verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Now, to be led by the Spirit doesn't just mean like, oh, I had the sense that God wanted me to do this today or I had a sense that God wanted me to do that thing today. That's included in this idea, but it's bigger than that. It really, in this context, to be led by the Spirit is this idea of 
How we, 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 we know that God's Spirit is leading us a specific direction, and because we're being pulled that direction, we know we belong to God. In other words, listen, God's Spirit is going to give us new desires and new strength to accomplish those desires. Let me explain what I mean by this. Paul says it this way in, in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read to you. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear, and this is why, listen, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, so when we talk about adoption brings a higher quality of life, we're talking about a reality that when God says, you belong to me, I've adopted you as my own. He says, I've done so to teach you how to live a new and freer way. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You can say no to those desires. Why? Because I'm giving you new desires. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced those new desires? Now, I'm not saying you don't still have the old desires, okay? There's a war that goes on inside of us. Paul talks about that in Galatians. But have you experienced those new desires? You kind of come to understand. You, you're getting to kind of, the penny's dropping. It's clicking in your head. Okay, this Jesus is the one I need to know. And I want to know more about him. Where does that desire come from? The work of God's spirit. You, you, you're in, you, you come and you start becoming a part of the church and you think, I want, I want to, these people seem to love each other. I want to love like this. I want to know what this, is, this kind of love is like. Where does that desire come from? from the Spirit of God working in you. I want to stop pursuing things that destroy my life and others. Where does that desire come from? God working in you. But He doesn't just give you new desires. Listen, He gives you new power, new strength to fulfill those desires. Oh, I know, there's these competing desires because we've got the old desires that are there competing with the new desires. But still, the work of God is there. That's why God says, that's why Paul says to, to the Philippian church, you know what? Work hard to cooperate with God, so to speak. To do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. To seek God. To listen to God. To be with God's people. To trust God. It's a higher quality of life. Now, I want to say that before I was a Christian, a lot of stuff that I got involved in, it was fun. I mean, I'm talking about I did really bad things that, that you could all be ashamed of me if you knew what they were. But some of them were fun. I can't act like that when I was doing them, I was going, this is the worst thing ever. I should really stop doing this. That wasn't the case. Sometimes when I was doing those things, I was thinking, this is kind of cool. I really like this. Because you're getting affirmed by other people that it's a good thing. There's a certain pleasure you can, you can receive from doing some of those things. But you know what those things always end up being? Empty. Destructive. The cost is never worth the result, ever. And God says, listen, you don't have to live that way anymore. God turns our lives upside down, or maybe we should say right side up. So we begin to, to realize we don't exist for this. There's got to be more to life than this. And there is. It's in knowing who God is and enjoying Him forever. It's a higher quality of life. So adoption means that. But also, listen, adoption also means a new identity. A new identity. Look at verse 15. 
Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, the Bible teaches that all of us are slaves in one way or another. We're all slaves to our sin. Then when we come, become Christians, we become slaves to righteousness. But that doesn't mean, listen, that God treats us or relates to us as slaves. When the Bible says that we're slaves to righteousness, what that means is, is that we recognize that's who my allegiance needs to be. That's where my actions need to be. I need to obey those things that are good and right, not obey those things that are bad and wrong. But the way God relates to us is not master to servant, but father to child. That's Paul's point here. He's wanting us to recognize, look, you're no longer slaves. You're sons. So, so think of it this way. Imagine if you can, and, and I hope you guys all realize slavery is still a real thing today. There are more people being trafficked into slavery today than ever in the history of the world. It's horrible to think about, isn't it? We know how bad it is. And think about this too. I'm going on a tangent. Forgive me. It's not slavery Sunday. It's adoption Sunday, but I think this is important. It's, it, isn't it interesting? In the Western culture, we throw more money at human rights and taking care of people, yet we're the ones who are purchasing the slaves. It's mostly in the sex, tra- sex trade, and guess where that happens most? In Western culture. Think about that. We fund the sex trade in, sl- in human slavery. Now, if, imagine you're one of these slaves You've been stolen. You've been forced into this slavery position. How horrible would that be? And along comes another person and says, look, I want to buy you out of slavery. And that first master you had was so bad, so abusive, you think, okay, anything's better than this. And so that that master buys you from their old master. But instead of saying, you're now my slave, they say, listen, no more of this slavery. I want you to now be my child. I want to legally adopt you as my child. I want you to live in my home as my child. I want to provide for you as my child. Can you imagine a Hollywood movie made of this? Someone should make this movie. It'd make a million, wouldn't it? I mean, seriously, it's a great story. You know why it's a great story? It's a true story. Because that's what God's done with us. That's Paul's point. Paul's point is, this is what God's done for you. He's taken you out of slavery, and he's made you sons and daughters. That's what he's done. Now, what's great about this as well is that because he relates to us as father to child, we don't have to feel like this pressure of servant to master. You guys know what it would be like. You can imagine what it might be like to be a slave to a master. And there is no option. You just do what you say. If you fail, you get beaten or worse. But with a, with a, a father to child, that's not the way it works. Listen to what, how the psalmist talks about this Father the, the, to children relationship that we have with God. It says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. <laughs> Some of you guys might have had fathers that were so demanding to think of a father as tender and compassionate is difficult for you. That's why this truth is so important for you. Because your earthly father may have fell greatly short, but your heavenly father does not. He's not demanding. He's patient. He understands your weaknesses. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. 
But it gets even better in verse 16. Paul says, listen, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, he says that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's talking about really a subjective experience. He's talking about a reality that we experience as we approach God by faith in what he says he's done for us, what he says about us in Christ. So this is not just like, okay, I have an understanding that I'm considered to be a child of God. This is, I have the understanding, I believe that truth, and I experience that assurance of God's Spirit. You belong to God. Now, if if you're here today and you don't understand this, you've never experienced this, I want you to know that you're here today because God wants you to know Him this way. God wants to have this relationship with you that is child, is father to child. He wants you to know what it's like to belong to Him. He really does. If, if church to you is just something where you kind of get information or you have a social experience and you don't understand this, if you don't experience the Father's love for you, you're missing out on the whole reason Christ died for you. Christ died for you because he wants to bring you into the family of God. Listen to this. This is what Paul says in the book of Galatians. The same guy who wrote Romans wrote this to the churches that were in Galatia. He says this, For you are all children of God, how? Through faith in Christ Jesus. What identifies you as God's child? You believe in Jesus. You believe that his death for you was enough to pay for all your sins. You believe that his resurrection was real and bodily and guarantees your resurrection in the future. You believe the gospel. God says when you believe the gospel, what happens to you? You have the privileges of adoption. You're a son or a daughter. Paul goes on to say in the same book, Galatians 4, listen, he says, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son, notice the spirit of Christ, into our hearts prompting us to call out to God, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are a child, God also made you his heir. Do you see how how simple this is? It's radically profound, but it's also radically simple. God simply says, will you trust that what I've done is enough? God simply asks you, will you believe that I really do love you and I so loved you that I sent Jesus to die in in your place, to die on the cross, to receive the wrath that you should receive from me, the punishment you should receive. I've sent Jesus to receive that on himself, not just so you could be forgiven, but you could be family. You could be brought in. And God says, do you believe this? And when you say to God, I believe I believe. The Holy Spirit says, yes, cry out to him as Father. Because don't you understand, this is why Jesus taught us to pray, our Father? That's not, God is not our Father because of the brotherhood of humanity. There is a reality that we are all brothers and sisters in in Adam, you know, in the first man. In humanity, there's, there's a relationship there. There's a truth to that. We're all image bearers of God. There's that truth. But that's not why he taught us to pray our Father. 
He taught us to pray our Father so we realize that the relationship that He has as the Son with God who is the Father, we now have as sons and daughters with God who is the Father. So we can pray the way Jesus prays, our Father. Father. Abba. He's brought us into that relationship. A relationship we don't deserve. A relationship we can never earn. A relationship that once we have it, we cannot lose. Abba, Father. This is your new identity. If you're willing to receive it by faith. The the Bible says this. John wrote this in his first gospel. Or in his gospel, John wrote this. He says, yet to all who did receive him, that's receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What gives you the right to cry out to the creator of the universe as daddy? That's what the word Abba means, daddy. What gives you the right to cry out to the creator of the universe, daddy? You know what gives you that right? Jesus, what he's done. Yeah, but you say, I'm not a good child. I'm not a very obedient child. Well, Welcome to the club. We all fall short. But our position, this privilege of adoption, comes to us because of what Christ has done. That's our new identity. We're not slaves, we're sons. And we're assured of the sonship by the Holy Spirit because we trust in Jesus. But also, listen, we have an inheritance. Verse 17 says, And if children then heirs... Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified together. Now, you wouldn't see this in the English Bible, but when this was written in Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek, in the Greek language, the, there's, there's three similar compound words used. I'm going to kind of transliterate how this works. I'm going to kind of say it in English more literally to how it is in Greek, okay? It says, now, if children, then you're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we are co-sufferers with Him, that we may be co-glorified with Him. So all those things go together. Co-heirs, co-sufferers, co-glorified ones. They all go together. That's the way it's worded in the original language. That's important because it's, it's, he, what, what, what the author wants us to understand, what Paul wants us to understand is that this privilege we have, this sonship, this new identity, is because we're one with Christ. I've talked to people before who maybe have a church background and you know, maybe have a, a faith that there is God. Maybe even the God of the Bible is the right God. And sometimes I talk to people like this and, and you know, ask them, you know, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? Oh, I don't really know. You know, I, I think I'm pretty good. I think I, I, I'll, I deserve to go to heaven, but I don't really know. That's how a lot of these people respond. Religious people often respond that way. I don't really know what's going to happen to me after I die, but I think I'm a pretty good person, and so I think God will accept me, and everything will be fine. But you know what happens when you begin to understand who you really are before this perfect God and who Christ really is? You know what happens? Things get turned around. You no longer have to say, gee, I hope I get in. I'm not really sure. You don't have to think, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. You know, man, I am not a good enough person. I don't deserve to be there, but I know for sure I'm going to be. Why? Because of what Christ did. He turns it right side up. 
This is what's meant by this inheritance, that we're going to inherit a perfect world, the world that we all want. We are going to inherit that because it belongs to Christ and we're now co-inheritors with him. That's what we have to look forward to. This is the privilege of our being adopted. So when we talk about heaven, we don't just mean what happens to us after a die. We, we mean the, 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 the throne of God, the presence of God coming to, this, uh, to earth, renewing the earth as it's supposed to be. We're waiting for Jesus to return and then create the world that we all want. How do you know you're going to be around for that? How do you know you're actually going to inherit that? Because of this promise. It's part of your identity. So my dad passed away three years ago. And I had no doubt of my dad's love for me when he passed away three years ago. I also had no doubt that he was going to leave me nothing because he had, bless him, he had nothing. I mean, he had absolutely nothing. It cost us money to get rid of the few things that were there. We have like three or four boxes of personal things that we've kept. Everything else was just so bad, it cost us money to get rid of it. He had nothing. He was very, very poor. So... I knew I was loved by God, or I'm sorry, I knew I was loved by my dad, but I also knew I wouldn't get anything from my dad because he had nothing to give. And I, I feel like sometimes that's how we are as Christians. <laughs> okay, I know I'm loved by God, and it helps me feel better and kind of cope with the difficulty of life, but if there's heaven, great. If not, oh well, you know, I don't know. And we forget this radical privilege that we have by being adopted by God, this privilege that we're still waiting to obtain. Not trying to earn, it's already ours in Christ, but waiting to attain this great inheritance. That's our privilege as being adopted children. In the same way that Adam and Emma's four adopted children will inherit in, in no different way than their biological children would. In the same way, we are going to inherit in no different way that Christ does. We're going to share his inheritance. I want you to think about that. How much of all that God's created in this universe belongs to Jesus? All of it. How much do we get to enjoy with him forever? All of it. How full and complete is, the, is, is Jesus' knowledge of God's love? Totally full and complete. How full and complete is, our gonna be, is it going to be our knowledge of God's love for us? full and complete when we see him face to face. That's our inheritance. Do you believe that? I, I mean this, seriously. Do you believe that that's the best thing to look forward to? Because if you believe that, it changes how you live now. Seriously. If we believe that the best is yet to come, the world to come is better than this world, it changes the way we live now. Our hands are much looser on material things here because they're not going to go with us. The relationships that we have, we have an eternal mindset. We don't look at the relationship just as how can you benefit me and maybe I can benefit you, but we think how can I help you get ready for that? It changes things. Your perspective, your priorities all change when you realize this new identity you have because you've been adopted because of Jesus. Specifically, and this is the last thing we want to talk about, it changes the meaning of your suffering. Adoption means hopeful suffering. Look at verse 18. Paul says, 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Now, this guy who wrote this, Paul who wrote this, knew something about suffering. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can get a list that he lists about the kinds of things he suffered because he wanted to follow Jesus. He, he was beaten several times. He was stoned to death like he hit with rocks until he was dead or left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. Even Christians didn't trust him. He sometimes went hungry. He was forced to fast because there was no food on the table. He was persecuted and mocked. He was dis disowned. We, we know that Paul was probably a member of the Sanhedrin, which was this Jewish council. To be a member of the Sanhedrin that means that you have to be married. So when he becomes a Christian, we know that he's a single man. So either his wife passed away or she bailed on him. Treat him as dead because he was following Jesus. This guy knew suffering. And he says, it's nothing compared to the glory we have to look forward to. What glory is he talking about? Jump down to verse 23. We're almost done. Down to verse 23, where Paul says, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for, notice he says, the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, think about this for a second. Paul already said we have the spirit of adoption. God's spirit comes and says, you're adopted. You belong to God the Father because of Jesus. That's what the spirit testifies to our spirit, right? But then he also says, but we're waiting for the adoption. Well, which is it? Is it now or is it later? The answer is yes. It's both. It's the already and not yet. We see all throughout Scripture. We already have this great privilege of adoption, but that adoption means, listen, we inherit all that Jesus has. What kind of body does Jesus have now? After his resurrection, what kind of body does he have? A perfect body. A body that cannot die. A body that cannot be sick. A body that, that still makes him recognizable as he is but is glorious, a body that's able to be with God forever. We're awaiting that body. That's what he says. He's talking about this resurrection that we're waiting for. We're awaiting for our own resurrection. This is why we're not afraid of death as Christians. Death isn't the end for us. Jesus rose from the dead. Guess what it means for us? We're going to rise from the dead. God's going to rise us from the dead, and we're going to be raised into this glorious body. Look how Paul says it. Listen to this. This is what Paul, how Paul writes it to the Corinthian church. Paul says, If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. You know why Paul says that? Because what God calls us to do in loving Him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that means you, you can't have no, no competing gods. Those competing gods have to go away. That's really hard. We, we like to make gods in our life. We, we have false gods that we worship all the time. Maybe not little statues, but things that we think are going to give us ultimate satisfaction and ultimate hope. Those are false gods. God says no competition. Got to love him first. But also, he calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're called to esteem one another's needs as more important than ours. Sounds nice. Ever try to do it? Really hard. It's really, try just, just today, a little social experiment. Try today 
to just think about all the other people in this room and what they need in the next hour. What do they need? How can you meet that need? And you will go, oh my goodness, this is so hard to do. It's impossible to do. We need God's Spirit to teach us to do it. So the calling that God puts, us, puts on our life is to live the way Jesus lived. And we can't do that apart from the work of God's Holy Spirit in our life. So if we're just trying to imitate what Jesus does and there's no hope of heaven, there's no hope of resurrection, people should feel sorry for us. That's what Paul says. People should look at you and go, oh, poor Christians, they're trying really hard for no reason. That's the point. But that's not our hope, is it? Because he goes on to say, listen, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, or when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? A resurrection. Now, Paul goes on to say, I'm going to read these verses quickly and close with these from verses 19 to 22. Look what Paul says. He says, For the earnest expectation of the creation, that is, the desire to be renewed. Okay? That's the earnest expectation, the desire to have that new body, to have everything the way, to have the world we all want. He says, That eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, that is, when we are resurrected. For the creation which was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that is, when God created the world, he created it perfect, but he allowed the world to fall by Adam's sin because he has a plan to redeem it, okay? Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into this glorious liberty of the children of God, he says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. This idea of the whole creation groaning, there's two ideas here. One is all humanity groans. Don't all of us, think about every, everyone you know, Christian or not, doesn't make a difference. Don't they want the world to be better than it is? Don't we all want the world to be better than it is? We want to see sickness cured, death ended, pain ceased, relationships healed, love being actually produced and acted on. That's what we long for, the world we all want. That's what kind of Paul's indicating here, that creation, the whole world longs for this. But there's also the physical reality. There are some who would say that the earthquakes and the, the problems with that we see natural disasters are in a sense creation groaning. Because when God comes back, when Christ comes back, he's going to redeem this earth. The point is, there's a world that we all want, and that world's guaranteed in Christ. And because, listen, we all want it, that means we all are suffering now together. Especially those of us who follow Jesus, we don't need to suffer alone. We're not meant to suffer alone. As adopted children, we're meant to help each other as brothers and sisters. Because, you know, this is why we, we so push small groups so that people can actually know your junk and you can know their junk. Because when you know each other's junk, it's what you do. You take it to God and He fixes it. He sorts it out. He gives you hope. He changes you. 
But we make this mistake of thinking, I can do this on my own. I'll just suffer in silence by myself. No, that's not what he's called us to. He's adopted you into a family. It's not a single child family. It's a big, loud, busy, annoying family. They're all fighting for the coffee. They're all forgetting to sign out their kids. They never remember bring and share Sunday. It drives me nuts. But we're family. And we're suffering together. We're suffering temporarily. Praise God, it's only temporary, but we're suffering together. That's what it means to be adopted. Now, hearing this, what would it be like to have no access to family? What would it be like to not have parents who protect and provide for you? What would it be like to only have siblings who are seeking to take from you or abuse you? What would it be like to feel like it's all up to me? I have to take care of myself because that's how 15,000 children in the UK feel all the time, right now. 15,000 children in this country, this country that has one of the best social welfare programs in the world, this country still has 15,000 children who need to be fostered or adopted or have a kinship care. 15,000. We know what it's like to be adopted, or at least we should know what it's like to be adopted. The privilege, the blessing, how good it is to know we have a father who cares for us. Should we not care for those 15,000? You have, should have on your seats a little coaster that will protect your, your lovely furniture from uh, drinks that are hot and moist. That's what they're for, okay? That coaster is from an organization called Home for Good, great organization that we are getting connected with, getting familiar with. And one of the statistics that they like to share is that reality of there's 15,000 children waiting for foster care adoption in the United Kingdom, 15,000. Do you realize if every evangelical church in, this, in the United Kingdom would commit to making sure that one of those children got into, got into a good, loving family, there'd be no more kids in foster care or needing adoption. If the church would just do what we've been modeled, what's been modeled for us, if we would just take care of orphans and widows the way God took care of us as orphans and widows. Now, you, you might be thinking, okay, John, now I'm feeling really guilty. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? Well, give me, let me give you three things that you can do, okay? I was supposed to have them on the screen, but I forgot to put them on a the slide. Forgive me. So you're going to have to write these down. You're going to have to actually take notes. I'm not making it easy for you. You guys ready? Write these down. First thing is pray. Pray. They all start with P. It'll be easy, okay? Pray. Pray for those 15,000 children. Don't you know the Father loves those children? Our Heavenly Father loves those children. The same way he loves your children. Pray for those 15,000 children who need adoption or fostering. Pray for those that you know who are already in the business of adopting or fostering children. Pray for those. Pray, listen. Pray for our often overworked and underappreciated social services. Now, social services is not a perfect group of people. We've had, I've had bad experiences with social services and I've had great experiences with social services, but the truth is they are 
almost always totally overworked. That's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to do that job well. Pray for them. If you meet a social worker, say, wow, I'm going to be praying for you by name. (laughs) Pray for them. But also, not just pray, plan. Here's what I mean by plan, okay? Write down this date, 12th of January, 2018. 12th of January, 2018, we're going to host a Home for Good meal where we talk about how we as Christians can be involved in adoption and foster care. It doesn't just mean that actually just adopting or actually doing foster care, just how we can be involved as a church, how we can support parents and carers who do this. It's going to be a simple meal. We're going to get together. We're going to have some food. We're going to have some different speakers. 12th of January, 2018. It's a Friday. But also plan, listen, to ask adoptive parents or carers that you know how you can help. Just say, you know, I, I know you've been fostering or I know that you've adopted. What can, is there anything I can do to help? A lot of times, practically, you can't get involved with the kids. It's just not appropriate. But you can bring them a meal. You can't mow their lawn. You can't give them a gift card so they can go out on a date occasionally. Very stressful being adoptive parents. Now, as you can hear, these things can apply to, to parents who, who haven't adopted or fostered either, right? But let's plan to be the kind of church that has this kind of culture where we take care of each other as family. Third one, provide. Provide. Provide a supportive attitude and practical help toward all parents and carers at Servants Church. Provide. All right, God, I want to do this. I want to be involved in this. I want to I keep my eye out for this. I think it also means that you pray about providing a home for a child who needs fostering and adopting. Now, it's a calling. Not all of us are going to be called to do that, but would you at least be willing to pray about that? And don't fall into the temptation. Wait a second, John. Clayton and Kelly adopted. Adam and Emma adopted. We've already passed the quota. We don't need to do it. No. So many of these churches, of those 15,000, a huge percentage of those churches, guys, Probably the majority of those churches are churches of like less than 20 people who are usually older than 70, and so they couldn't really adopt or do foster care, most of them. So that means churches like us have to pick up the slack. Would you be committing to this? If you understand and know the privilege of your adoption, would you commit to pray and plan and provide to be involved in this? I want you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. Get, get an attitude of prayer as we get ready to close up. With your heads bowed and, and your eyes closed, everyone, no one's looking around. We're, we're just having our minds on God. We're thinking about God. We're praying to God. I want you guys to think about the things that we talked about, this, this Jesus we've talked about today. I want you to think about the reality of your own adoption. The first thing I want you to think about and ask yourself is, have you been adopted? Do you know what it means to be adopted by God? 
Does God's Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you belong to Him? Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth was not only a a man or a perfect man, but He was also God? And when He died on the cross, as that perfect man, He paid a perfect price so that you could be forgiven and adopted? Do you believe that? Do you believe he rose from the dead three days later like he said he would? Do you believe that? Do you understand the privilege of your adoption? Do you believe? If you are sitting here today and you have not yet known the privilege of being adopted, would you dare ask him Would you dare ask your Father in Heaven to do that for you? Would you dare ask the Creator of the universe to save you? You can just pray. You can say, God, would you please save me? I need to be in your family. I need forgiveness for my sins. I believe Jesus did die for that. I believe He did rise from the dead. Please forgive me of my sins and live in me by your Holy Spirit that I might cry out to you, Abba, Father. Pray a prayer like that. Your own words, it doesn't have to be those exact words. Just if that's the prayer of your heart, pray that to God right now.